Hi, you guys. Coco Moco here, and we are with Holly Madison. Hey. I, I usually do really like long introductions, but we're going to talk about your story, and I think a lot of people know who you are, so we're just going to roll right into it. Okay. And I spent um, a flight to Europe and back reading your book Down the Rabbit Hole. Was this before TikTok brought us together with that weird glitch? Oh, or after so it was funny. so weird so you guys I made this video about going to a haunted mansion Airbnb and I made it like in splice did like the narration in splice like completely separate like uploaded it from like the square button it wasn't like I was even on one of your videos where I was like use this sound but for some reason like I posted it and then I came back and I had all these comments because it like pasted your audio from when you it's, were talking about yeah. the idol over my video just out of nowhere yeah. and all, everybody's like wait what's going on here I don't get it but I left the video up because it was so chaotic. Yes. I love it. <laughs> no, I love, I know. I felt like it was um, almost became kind of like an inside joke with our audiences because I was getting comments too. They're like, look at Holly's recent video. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, so I, when, before I left for Europe was when we started talking about maybe doing the interview. Mm -hmm. And whenever I have someone on, I want to just like really capture who they are and do as much research as I can. So um, I got the book and then, I realized too, like, I'd always known that you had done stuff after. Mm -hmm. And then whenever I was doing research, like so many questions, I think really just fixated on that part. And mm -hmm. I wanted to like talk about some things I found interesting, but also dive into more. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, I guess we'll just like dive right in. It was actually also the audio thing was funny because I was with a client and we were in the studio and I'm like, do any of you guys know who Holly Madison is? They're like, of course. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> yeah. And there were kind of these like older, like kind of record label people. And I was trying to explain to them like what happened. I'm like, my audio's accidentally on hers. And I could tell it like went over their head, but they were uh -huh. just like, okay, that's cool. Like you <laughs> and Holly so Madison. So um, they knew the connection. But they had no idea what was going on. Um, okay. So I want to start something that was really interesting. And you talk about this in your interview with Sloan as well. Mm -hmm. You grew up in a small town in Alaska mm -hmm. and then moved to Oregon. But what do you remember about that time? Well, living in Alaska was super fun for me as a kid because it was a lot of just like playing in the woods and using my imagination and just all these really unique experiences. And I moved down to Oregon when I was about 10 in fourth grade. And that just felt like overwhelmed to me, even though the towns I lived in in Oregon were not big cities at all yeah. they were very small towns but it still felt like way too much for me wow and I found out later that I was on the spectrum and just never knew so I think living in this really like isolated place in Alaska mm -hmm. was really helpful yeah and then I just didn't really know why I was reacting the way I was when I moved to Oregon because all of a sudden going to like a bigger school and like going to malls with like fluorescent lighting and like weird air conditioning it would just like set me off in all the wrong ways yeah but I never knew why until like a few years ago. Okay. And, um, and do you, I guess like just in line with that too, do you look back at any of your experiences as well now that you're more like a public figure differently knowing that diagnosis? Absolutely. Yeah. I can definitely see it as a reason why maybe I felt comfortable and more drawn to certain situations that other people wouldn't be drawn mm -hmm. to. Um, but yeah, I was always making excuses for myself, like well into adulthood, like, oh, I'm this way because I grew up really isolated, which doesn't make sense because my sister grew up the same way. She's two years younger and she's yeah. completely normal and fine. Wow. <laughs> but I was just always trying to find the reason for what it was. And I never really knew. Until yeah. Recently. And you said in, I think it was your interview at Sloan that 
when you worked at Hooters, it actually was really helpful because you yeah. guys kind of had a script and it was also fast paced. So you didn't have to spend too much time. Like exactly. When you're a server, you don't ever really spend too much time at your table. But like at Hooters, you're supposed to be a very specific role. So if you do have extra time at a table, like they want you to do card tricks or like hula hoop by the table or sit down and talk to the wife and kids, like you have very specific things to do and a very specific type of person you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And I felt like that was the first place I was ever really like succeeding socially because they have so many guidelines. Oh, that, I think that's helpful for people on the spectrum because we yeah. don't naturally pick up on like the social cues or what we're supposed oh. to do. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. I am. Um, it's like a little different, but just kind of relating to you. It wasn't until adulthood that I figured out I have dyslexia and I used oh, to wow. like be so confused because mm -hmm. even like typing and stuff, I would get things wrong. Yeah. And I was like, am I just like not smart? And then I realized they're like, I knew what I was trying to communicate, but sometimes they were like, but it's interesting too, how you kind of learn about yourself, even being in like the public eye in a way, because people will notice things about you that you didn't even know maybe yourself. It's like a yeah. different perspective that you wouldn't get in any other, I think, profession. Yeah. Even now with like my formal diagnosis, like I use a lot of things I've seen of myself on TV as examples, wow. like, because, you know, as somebody on the spectrum, like I don't really emote as much or show emotion. Mm -hmm. And they used to kind of like make fun of me for that on the show and play yeah. me off as like being a super bitch or like, oh, your best friend just bought a new car. Why are you being a cunt about it? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, I'm not, I'm happy for her. I swear it's just, this is my face. Yeah. I have resting bitch face all the time or I'm playing with my hair like that's my stim but it's like I have those examples for my diagnosis I'll be like yeah. well you know I was able to see because honestly like you don't see how you are reacting sometimes and having like the cameras on me and being able to see that played back is helpful yeah yeah and I I'm sure it really helps people too who maybe have something similar as well where I always feel like there's certain people in the public eye who maybe don't even realize it, but they give silent permission to others to like be themselves or explore certain parts of themselves because they're like, you know, I'm afraid that maybe I'll get made fun of for something or I'm afraid that people will understand me. But if there's someone I'm looking to who's like even bigger than me, mm -hmm. I like they kind of almost in a way to take the target off their back because they're like, well, you know, they're giving me silent permission to explore this as well. Um, and so back to like the Alaskan Oregon as well, when you were on the Paris Hilton podcast, you were talking about um, the names of your children, which I really loved. And you, yeah. and you, I kind of, I feel like it seemed kind of a nod to your background a little bit. Yeah, it totally is. Um, when I was in Oregon, there was a girl who was two years younger than me in my sister's class and her name was Rainbow. And I thought that was the <laughs> best name. I was so jealous of it. And then I kind of forgot about it for years and years. I never had it like on my baby name list until I was pregnant. And then it popped back into my head. And I'm like, that's the perfect name. Yeah. And then I wanted to name my son Dragon, but that got the veto from his dad. <laughs> and he was like, no, let's name him Forrest because he wanted to name him after one of his best friends. But I love that name too. Cause yeah. like I grew up in a forest. I love trees. Like even now, like my house in LA, it's in the Hollywood Hills and it's just like surrounded by trees. And I feel like when I'm there, I don't even feel like I'm in Hollywood. I yeah. feel like I'm in the woods somewhere. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I think it was on that pod too, where you guys talked about how you feel like s sometimes children kind of choose their names in a way, which. Yeah. That's my kooky spiritual belief. No, I, I feel like the message is given to you by the kids. And yeah. even, even like when I was a little kid, I didn't like my name, but I can kind of imagine why maybe, you know, my higher self maybe thought that would be a good name. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so like the, when you say that too, I was, the moment I heard you say that, I was like, 
you know, you're, I think to me, you're really interesting because you're like this kind of mirror of old Hollywood in a way. And yet you were one of, I kind of characterize you with like Paris Hilton in that you kind of redefined what celebrity was in the 21st century. And so it's like these two things happening at once. And you have even talked about in your book, kind of your fascination with old Hollywood. And it's like, your name's Holly. And it's like Hollywood. Isn't that Holly. funny? Yeah. yeah it it like does kind of fit in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a premonition of what yeah, I think you, so. career you would go into. Um, and you mentioned in the book that you loved kind of old Hollywood. Um, what, what really got you into that? It was just something I was authentically drawn to when I was a really little kid. I remember once, um, for Christmas, like my aunt gave me these Marilyn Monroe paper dolls and I was so obsessed with them. And I got really into her through that. And just even things like family vacations, we'd go to like, they used to have a wax museum down by Knott's Berry Farm. And they had this display of like Jean Harlow and she had this set that was very like 1930s, like glamour. But the, (laughs) this is where, cause I'm also like really drawn to like really like morbid stuff. Mm -hmm. And like the Jean Harlow wax figure looked dead. And I thought that was like really cool for some reason. I don't know. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, and I want to get into that too later as well. Kind of your fascination with like the morbid and the paranormal. It's something I'm so interested in as well. But I feel like people like I don't always talk about it. But Mm -hmm. um, so so then kind of in the old Hollywood realm, I want to talk as well about some of your time at the mansion, the Playboy Mansion. Um, In the book, you mentioned that you and... Hugh Hefner really bonded over watching old movies. Mm-hmm. Was that something he was really interested in as well? And or was it like you brought him? I'm guessing he was into it. Yeah, for and, sure. That was okay. a big, big interest of his. He always had classic movie nights every weekend, mm-hmm. like on Fridays and Saturdays. And then on Sunday, he'd show a new movie. But he'd always get super into it. Like he had a friend who was a film historian who would write like pages and pages of movie notes that he would like read to everybody before the movie. So, okay. Yeah. I was I was trying to figure out when I was watching the A&E documentary they were talking about the movie nights and he was holding a paper. Like Mm -hmm. there was a narrative. So you couldn't hear what he was saying, but he was, you guys were in a room and he was holding a paper reading notes. And I was like trying to figure out what, but yeah, that's what it was. He was just giving everybody like the backstory on the movie and like the fun facts and stuff like that. Okay. And was it the, so the first Playboy magazine, it was Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, And so one other thing about the old Hollywood kind of realm was so Hugh Hefner hated red lipstick. Do you know yeah. like where that stemmed from or it was just, do you think it was a control tactic? I think it was a control tactic, but also because when I was brand new, I wore red lipstick out a couple times and he didn't say anything about it. Cause when you were the new girl in the group, you were always treated well. It's like, I heard somebody, I forget where this quote came from, but somebody said like the higher up you are in a cult, the worse you're treated. Cause they want the new people to yes. like want to bond and feel into it. So like I would wear red lipstick when I was new and it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal until like six months into it when I was like living in his bedroom and I was the main girlfriend. Then he felt like he had the leeway to like yell at me over it. But I think he didn't love it because when he invented the concept of a playmate in the 50s, he wanted the women to look very like young and fresh faced because he Mm -hmm. felt like the look in the 50s at the time 
was very, he described it as somebody's older sister. It was very more sophisticated fashion model, red lipstick. You know, in the 40s, after the war, you had like the Dior new look where it was like a lot of fabric and big skirts and everything. And he hated that. He wanted like skimpy and like fresh faced and very young looking. So I think that's where like he, his hatred of red lipstick came from is to him that was like an older mature woman and it wasn't like the barely legal thing anymore. Okay, that's so interesting too because I feel like, I, I, my reference too goes to Taylor Swift, who's been wearing, she's always worn red lipstick, mm-hmm. but especially in this era's tour. And I feel like red lipstick for especially women, it's such like an individual thing that yeah. of course, Playboy, they wanted everyone to be uniform. And I feel like red lips is something that's so, like it draws the eye in a way that maybe would be seen as not conforming. Yeah, it's a bold statement for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, and now some other things about kind of, your time pre-show at the mansion. Um, I know you've been asked about this as well. It's just something that was so like really stood out to me, the Polaroid pictures. So mm-hmm. when people would go to the mansion, they would take photos. Did they do that? And then they would grade it. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that? And then did they do that for the men? I don't remember them taking pictures of men. I don't know if they did, but if they did, it wouldn't have been graded the same way because women, I mean, of course, Famous women were desirable. But other than that, you were just judged on your looks unless you were one of like the rare like friends of his on the inner circle. But um, for men coming to the parties, it was all about like fame. Unless you were one of like one of his close friends on the inner inner circle. But men were judged on fame and women were judged on their looks. Wow. And it was like a a grade rating, like the A, B. Yeah, like A through D. Like D would be wouldn't invite, wouldn't be invited back. C would be like the big parties. B would be like the smaller parties and the big parties. And then A would be like you're invited to everything. Like you're on the fun in the sun Mm. Sunday party list. Like you're invited to the big parties, the small parties, all the things. Wow. I... I can't, it's such a kind of, it's such like a literal example of just the way women are treated Mm -hmm. in society. Like it's like, like people who are misogynists, they kind of use that grading system even subconsciously. And then it was like a outright example of it. And speaking of kind of the misogyny as well, I know, I think, what I'm getting at is kind of your interactions with the girls in the beginning because you were really bullied and like not treated very well. Mm-hmm. And um, what stood out to me about that part was I feel like there's an extra sense of betrayal that happens when it's another woman yeah. who's hurting you because unfortunately in some ways I kind of expect it from men or to be treated certain ways from men. And you look to women as allies and it almost hurts more when it doesn't happen. Um, but you found a really good friend in Bridget, mm-hmm. which you guys even have the podcast together, yeah. Girls Next Level. What was one of, I know you talk about it in the book, but what was like one of the first things that drew you to her? And then what were some memories that you guys had together that made kind of your time in the mansion, like some that you look fondly on with her? I think immediately the thing that I noticed about Bridget was she's really like happy and enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. And she, it was obvious she wanted to come to the mansion to like, have a really unique exciting experience and she also wanted to contribute to that like she would come like all dressed up in costumes or like handing out these little liquor bottles and like fun things like that and we just bonded over like common interests and things Mm -hmm. and just the other girls there weren't into it they were kind of there just to like get the paycheck and not 
you know, participate, which is like fine, whatever. But they were like really mean towards Bridget and I because they felt like because we were having fun with some of the things there that it made them look like, you know, they weren't participating or that they were going to like get in trouble or maybe not get as much or whatever. Yeah. So, so when you guys were like kind of like over excelling in a way at it like really engaging, maybe it made them feel like, okay, now it's obvious that we're a little like yeah. emotionally detached now. Um, and you said that the movie, there was a movie based and they based the character on Bridget. Was it? Yeah, the house bunny. Okay, with yeah. Anna Ferris. Yeah. Funny house. Okay, yeah. So they even had like a grumpy cat as well. Yeah, because Bridget had a cat named Gizmo who was always portrayed on the show. Like they would always put growls on her and stuff. Yes. So Anna Ferris had a cat named Pooter in the movie. Oh my God. I, I think it was the cat, but there was a clip where someone posted on TikTok and they were like, one of my favorite scenes from Girl Next Door. And it was Bridget trying to put, I think it was like an outfit on the cat. Yeah. And then no, the cat just like, dog. oh, the dog. Okay. She put like this rabbit costume for Easter and the dog would do the weirdest thing. It was so cute. The dog would just kind of like die. She would go totally limp when yeah. she had an outfit on and just like melt into a puddle. It was so yeah. weird. We called it like dogatonic. Yeah. She, it was the weirdest thing, but it was so cute. I know when I saw this scene, I was like, is at first I thought it was like a plush animal. And then I, yeah. it was just like, she goes completely forward. limp. Like I've never seen anything like oh it. Oh my God. <laughs> um, that's funny. Um, do you think that this was something I was really interested in and you might not even know the answer, but do you think that any of the former girls who were in the house were ever resentful that they left and then shortly after the show came around and it was super successful? Oh, I'm sure because they used to really want a reality show. They used to always kind of like suggest it or like throw the idea around. And I think, you know, everybody comes to that situation thinking they're going to get some kind of fame or some kind of stepping yeah. stone out of it, but it really wasn't happening for so long. So I'm sure... They there were was, like, what the fuck is happening when all of a yeah. sudden there's billboards around town with yeah. faces on it. And you even had said that you weren't even like super sold on the idea of a show. No, I did not want to do a reality show. I really wanted to be in the entertainment industry in some way, but yeah. I always thought, oh, I'd be an actress or I'd be like a TV host or something. Mm -hmm. I didn't think it would be like my personal life being on blast. Yeah. So that was really super awkward for me. And I was always more comfortable doing kind of the behind the scenes things. Yeah. Like I was always really excited about getting like certain merch ideas going and things like yeah. that or other opportunities or coming up with concepts for like our magazine covers. Mm -hmm. But as far as like being in front of the TV and just having to be myself that's like a nightmare for me I didn't like it <laughs> yeah no I agree I'm like not even anywhere near like what you've what you've done but even just the small time I've had like with a podcast and on TikTok I am so protective of my personal life mm -hmm. and the people in it and I, I guess your situation was slightly different but even with me I'm always careful about showing my boyfriend or even like my siblings or my friends because I'm like they didn't choose to be public figures absolutely and it's a choice like you make every mm -hmm. day because it comes with a lot of you know like awful things that can obviously it's a great there's a lot of privileges but it's hard like it's not I always think I make the choice every day to do this and yeah, for the sure. people in my life don't yeah um and now I want to so we're kind of like going to get into as well the height of Girls Next Door. But leading into that, I want to ask, um, you had mentioned that 
some of the celebrities that you guys would meet would only acknowledge Hef and not you guys as yeah. people. It was so weird. Like, don't get me wrong. I don't expect everybody to be like fascinated with each one of us and stop and have a convo. But usually you like smile yeah. at the other people around or just kind of nod or whatever. But it would be so weird because there would be certain people, especially celebrities that would come up to Hef and just zone in on him, just talk to him and like completely like it's like we weren't even there or they'd kind of give us a look like, mm. it was so weird. Like So it always were- really stood out when somebody was like nice. Right. Or just like basic. Yeah. <laughs> and you said you had an interaction like that with Paris Hilton. It was even before the simple life. Well, she was one of the nice people who would like always say hi to us okay. and stuff. But it, that stood out because a lot of people We're, didn't. A lot of yeah. people would just come up, say hi to Hep and just kind of like sneer at us. And I'm like, okay. Oh my God. And so once the show came around and you guys obviously became super famous and which it seems like it wasn't even something any of you guys could predict. I feel like Mm -hmm. back then too, reality TV was so new and whenever like I'll see comments sometimes that are like, oh, well they were just there for the fame and it was like the magazine, but I don't think anyone could have predicted how big the show was going to be. Like, yeah, when the show, when the idea of the show was first brought up, I was really scared to do it and I didn't anticipate it being a hit at all. I thought it would be like a one season wonder and then it would just like tank and be done. And I thought, oh, maybe if there's anything good we could get out of this, like maybe he'll finally give us a pictorial in the magazine because he'll think we're at least famous enough for that. Like I thought that would be like the best case scenario. I thought it would be like a one and done. I didn't think it would be something that would go on for five seasons. Yeah. And did you notice a difference in how people or celebrities treated you guys before the fame from the show? And then once you guys were kind of the stars, did people change the way they interacted with you? 100,000%. Yeah. They were- <laughs> it was like we were normal human beings again. Or sometimes people would be like, oh, we watch the show. It's really fun, whatever. Yeah. But even like certain like I can think of like I'm not going to name names but like certain people who were like super rude before the show and then after the show they would kind of like nod and smile and like then we were okay but (laughs) yeah (laughs) they see you as human yeah kind of yeah Uh, yeah and um and then I also just wanted to ask about I know you mentioned I believe it was in the Paris Hilton podcast that you guys didn't actually have that many like necessarily crazy stories with the celebrities at the party because Mm -hmm. they were well-behaved in front of Hefner. Yeah. Can you explain that? Well, people always ask, like they want to hear like crazy (laughs) stories about what goes on at the parties. And I didn't really, like I would hear that sometimes you would walk in and there'd be like an orgy in the grotto or something, but I never saw it because I was always sitting next to Hef and people would want to like behave in front of him because they want to be invited Mm -hmm. back. They don't want to like disrespect him or disrespect the property. But people on staff would always tell me that at the end of the night after like Hef would go upstairs, then people would get rowdy because they're not, afraid of I don't know getting kicked out or whatever after that yeah it's so the story about when you mentioned that it reminded me so much have you ever visited the Hearst Castle yeah oh my god okay that's like one of my favorite places Mm -hmm. to go it's if anyone listening doesn't know it's this castle in kind of mid NorCal and the guy was a um a pub which similar to Hugh Hefner he was Mm -hmm. like a huge publisher and um, he would have a lot of uh, the old Hollywood stars would take trains up to this castle and party with him because they wanted him to publish and talk about their movies coming up. And he was very like, he 
actually hated people that drank too much, the Hearst yeah. guy, and he would like blacklist certain people. <laughs> and I remember them saying that he had this big dining table and people were so aware of like where they were sat at the placement of the table and how close they were to him was like their status at the time. Oh, that's how it was at the mansion too. Really? Like it was very strict as far as like who sat where, not just with the girlfriends, but like with Hef's friends too. And people would get so offended. Like if somebody didn't know and like accidentally sat in their spot, it was like a blow up. Oh <laughs> and in the movie room too, like there would be like the main couch and there would be chairs behind the couch. And then there would be like these pillows in front of the couch that people would like lay down on and prop yeah. up the pillows so they could like lay down and watch the movies. And if somebody like honestly didn't know and like laid down on somebody's pillow, ooh, all hell would oh break loose. It, it so feels funny. like yeah. the, it feels like in some ways the house was run like a middle school girl sleepover where it's <laughs> yeah. like you know it's my house like this is my best friend uh-huh. and like she gets this place on and like I don't know it's just so it was obviously clearly like it seems like manipulative in a lot of mm-hmm. ways but um now I want to get into the height of the show and then we'll go into things as well since then but um was there I love asking people this and not in a vain way I just think that there there always seems to be a moment for certain people, but was there ever a moment where you realized like how famous you'd become? It took a really long time because we were super sheltered. Like we weren't allowed to have our own outside representation or PR or anything like that. And we had been around Hef for so long that when we would go out, it just kind of felt like it was still all the fuss was about him. So it kind of felt the Mm -hmm. same all the way across. The first time I noticed something was different was, I think it was like in 2006, we went to Vegas for the day and it was some award show, like the Billboard Awards or something. (laughs) And we were there like walking out the trophies. And we were being walked from the stage back to like the room at the MGM that we had been given to get ready in. We weren't staying the night because we weren't allowed to stay the night. But we were walking back to the room and we had to run because it was like Beatlemania and people were chasing us. Whoa. So that was the first time I noticed something was off. <laughs> yeah. You were like, oh, this isn't yeah. like a normal person's life anymore. I mean, obviously already, but then that, yeah, I... It, it's always so I didn't even think about that you might have had a delayed realization because you were so sheltered. Um, And now another thing that was interesting in your book that I hadn't really heard anyone else ask about. And um, it was that Hugh Hefner had to pay rent to stay at the mansion. And it's why you were never given your own room despite there being vacancies because it meant his rent would go up? Yeah, the company, which was a publicly held company at the time, um, owned the house. So he would pay rent on all the rooms that he and the girlfriends occupied. Oh, so then if you moved out of the room into one of the vacancies, his rent would go up. Yeah. Okay. See, that was... So it makes sense. It was like the the public company, but... um, That kind of blew my mind. Um, And then another moment that I thought was really interesting, it was like, (laughs) I just, I, the, the name came out of left field for me, but that there was a moment in the book where it seemed as though maybe Hef was resentful at Ryan Seacrest and he showed up to like a party and then all of the E execs kind of swarmed Ryan Seacrest and Hef made some sort of comment about like, you know, they couldn't afford. Yeah, they can afford Ryan now because our show was successful. (laughs) Really? And can you explain what, like, what 
what was that about? Was it, you know, I think it was kind of built on top of a couple issues. Like Girls Next Door was doing really, really well. And it was the first big hit E had had for a long, long time. And from there, they could go and like hire Ryan Seacrest and get him on board and Mm -hmm. then get all the shows that came with that. And I think it was a little bit frustrating because Girls Next Door was doing so well, but E was always kind of like, well, because it's a Playboy show, we're having trouble with advertisers, which I think was also true. So we were kind of like held back a little bit. And it was like, well, you know, even though our ratings were like blockbuster for the network at the time, it was like they were always kind of like, oh, we can't guarantee you another season. Mm. So I think there was kind of this resentment, which was understandable, that was kind of like going all the way around. (laughs) Right, yeah. So like the... the advertising money wasn't necessarily maybe reflecting the success because I mean the show was bringing in huge numbers especially like again back then reality tv was still kind of this like they so they had had I'm like a like reality tv I just think is so fascinating Mm -hmm. um but they had like real world on MTV and they had shows like Survivor but it was like in a changing cast. And I felt like you guys were one of those first shows that really changed reality TV and just TV in general and storytelling in that you guys were like this, the three of you were the stars for like consecutive seasons. And then when, so you were told often that you were replaceable. Um, And then, but when you left, the show was canceled like mid season. Mm -hmm. Did that feel like vindication at all or? Looking back, yes. I I don't remember thinking much of it at the time because I was just kind of busy with other things. But I do remember like even on season one, they didn't want to pay us. And we were having like a luncheon with the executive producer and Kendra asked, should we be getting paid for this? And he just stopped everything and was like, you are replaceable, like super mean style. And it's just kind of ironic that they were kind of high on this horse that we weren't contributing anything and that we were just three like irreplaceable blondes and they Mm. thought they could just plug anybody else in our spot and people would just like lick it up and they didn't. So yeah, yeah, it's kind of satisfying looking back. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, because I think you guys did have such like an, the three of you brought different things. And um, what I really liked about you too was uh, I feel like every good show, even like especially reality shows, they always have like what they call the Greek chorus. So it's like Mm -hmm. one person who is part of it, but also like the voice of the audience kind of being like, this is so, like, why did this happen? Or this is so, kind of like that comedic relief of being like, this is ridiculous and like acknowledging it. And you mentioned that you felt like you were kind of that voice in a way, like the... Yeah, I felt like I got more comfortable kind of joking about stuff, like as we got into the second season. Mm -hmm. So I could kind of nod toward like, well, like I know you guys can see that this relationship was kind of messed up. Like when we do our like anniversary episode Mm -hmm. and things like that. I don't think that was ever the role the producer wanted me to have at all. But I felt like I could get little digs in here and there for sure. Yeah. And now something that I want to talk about that is also really stood out to me in the book was you, I feel like were the brains behind so much of their, even just like you were really into the production of photo shoots Mm -hmm. and like you mentioned merchandising. Um, There, one thing that really stood out to me that I was like, that's only someone who's like, some people just are born with it, like this kind of innate instinct. And there was one moment where they were trying to do kind of like a almost, you described it almost as like 
an America's Next Top Model, but finding like a new playmate, I believe it was. And um, it was for the 55th anniversary. And that, um, I believe it was like you found one model who was maybe Russian and it was a nod to the Gone with the Wind actress or there was like some connection there oh yeah do you know well, what I'm talking about I feel like I'm I do it goes back before the show though um Playboy started doing searches for like anniversary playmates like when yeah. the magazine would hit a milestone and be like this is our 25th anniversary issue one of the editors came up with an idea that was based on back in the 30s they did a search for Scarlett O'Hara mm-hmm. for Gone with the Wind yeah so he wanted to do like a nationwide search for the 25th anniversary mm-hmm. playmate so every time there was a big anniversary they yeah. would do that so I wanted to do that for the 55th anniversary because mm-hmm. it was my first time working at the studio when an yeah. anniversary had rolled around and we did a couple episodes on it. So it was super fun. Yeah. And you really enjoyed the production side of things and putting photo shoots together and like even just the storytelling. Are there any photo shoots you worked on that you're really proud of? I think all of them just yeah. because they were all super fun. I can't even think of one that stands out. It was always really special getting to meet, you know, that woman who was having that experience of yeah. becoming a playmate because it was something that I wanted to do for so long. Yeah. And I wanted to help other people have that experience mm-hmm. and feel beautiful. So I had fun on all the shoots. I thought they were yeah. really fun. And now shifting because I feel like it kind of set you up for like then your future, which is um, after you left the house, you went on to have um, a peep show as well at, I believe it was Planet Hollywood, mm-hmm. which was also like a huge auditorium. You had um, uh, the your own show and it was at the same network, right? E? Yeah. Okay. And uh, like, how was that experience? Did you... Um, did you take any of, were you kind of like a hand in like the storytelling and the production side as well? I really, really tried, but it was mm-hmm. hard because when we were on one of our last seasons of Girls Next Door, we were, we had to sign these contracts. I always say we had to sign them under duress mm-hmm. because none of us wanted to sign them. Like Kendra was literally out of the country on a promotion. Yeah. Bridget was yanked out of the shower and told, you need to sign this now, even though she wanted an attorney to look at it first. I didn't want to sign it, but I was told I had to sign it. Mm-hmm. And when you're living in a situation where you're kind of being told okay you know you you can be out on the street tomorrow that's a very weighted decision mm-hmm. like yeah technically you could say no I'm not going to sign this let me pack up all my stuff yeah. and start completely over like yeah. it's a, not a fair thing to ask somebody to do so we all had to sign these contracts and in the contracts it said that if E gave any of us a spinoff it had to be produced by the same producer that did Girls Next Door which is mm-hmm. also like Hef's best friend oh okay. so you it's know whatever time. we're still kind of under that umbrella but I wanted to take the opportunity yeah I really naively thought I would be able to have like more control Mm -hmm. over like the behind the scenes of my spinoff. And I was happy doing my spinoff. I thought it was a good experience. But at the end of the day, it got canceled after two seasons. And looking back, I'm kind of glad it did because the second season was turning into a mess. It's like they brought Mm -hmm. this other playmate on and they're like, we need a villain. We need drama. Because this was right after like Teresa flipped the table on Real Housewives. And after that happened, reality TV changed and all anyone wanted was drama. So they brought on this girl. We did like all this scripted fake drama. And I always say on reality TV, fake drama turns into real drama and you end up hating these people for better or worse. And it was just kind of a nightmare. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which you even, I know you talked about it too, but like the, there was a certain scene in Girls Next Door where um, Bridget was upset because uh, one of like the the best photos that they had from your guys' shoot Mm -hmm. was you and Kendra and she had to go take a final at school. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't in it. 
but that they kind of chopped different. They, they filmed like the back of her and Hugh in yeah. a room. She like begged for privacy to talk oh. to half about this issue. And they're like, yeah, sure. Okay. But she still had her mic on. It was like one of those moments like in the jinx. Yeah. Yeah. Where the Robert mic does, off. Yeah. Yes. So they just swiped the audio and layered it over this random footage of like the back of Hef's head and the back of Bridget's head where they're like petting her cat. And like, if you look closely, you can tell they're having like this serious convo, but you can see like a sliver of the side of Bridget's face and she's like smiling. So it yeah, like, doesn't match doesn't up. Match. Yeah. So it was just like dirty trickery like that. Yeah. Like, kind of embarrassing. And at the time we weren't even getting paid for the show or anything. So it was just rude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, okay. And now I want to talk about to you, um, you went on to be on Dancing with the Stars and you even said like that was one of the things kind of on like your bucket yeah. list right when you left. Uh-huh. Um, so what was that experience like? And w- did you have now a different interaction with production because it was now a whole new kind of team? And did it make you realize like there are different production styles, but you were maybe used to what was happening at the girls next door yeah for sure I mean Dancing with the Stars was a really special experience like back then it was on ABC and like 25 million people watched it every time it was on and I noticed it was something that people could go on and kind of like relaunch their careers off of like that was what how big a deal it was at the time so I got the opportunity to do that and it was interesting yeah because I'm working with these producers who are trying to get me to say certain things and craft a certain storyline and if they came to me and were like oh hey can you say I'm Hugh Hefner's ex-girlfriend I was like I don't, I don't want to yeah. define myself by that can I say I was like on the cover of Playboy and they're like yeah sure and that was so refreshing to actually have somebody listen when I said no I don't want to say that I want to say this because mm-hmm. in the girls next door era they were just kind of like fuck you we're gonna cut this however we want anyway you know yeah, yeah I I remember reading that part of your book where it was so interesting and when you said like you know no one really wants to be known as like the ex-girlfriend or ex-boyfriend of someone yeah and I feel like you wouldn't ask that about anybody else like years later they had somebody on who was pretty well known because she dated George Clooney and I wonder if they asked her to define herself as George Clooney's ex-girlfriend like I can't Mm -hmm. imagine but for some reason for the three of us, it was okay. I don't know if they mm-hmm. thought we liked it or wanted that title yeah. or what it was, but it was always like different for us for some yeah. reason. And maybe because it was kind of like, you know, the what Hugh Hefner seemed to want, but this idea of like a happy family and you guys mm-hmm. were all, which I, like sidetrack, it was so interesting to me in the um, documentary I was watching on A&E where um, one of his uh, former girlfriends before you I think in the 70s and 80s just mentioned that he was like obsessed with Charles Manson and like yeah, how Charles Manson so had like creepy. a happy family mm-hmm. and like he kind of wanted people to have like that where the women were so happy with him even though there was so much destruction mm-hmm. happening um, that was just a side note um, and now you're so this is what I really loved was you're, and I know you have, a, I want to read the book too after that, but your book down the rabbit hole was a number one New York Times bestseller. What do you remember from that time in your life writing that book? And what was that process for you? Like just looking back. For me, I never really thought about doing a memoir before. It wasn't like I was at the house thinking I'm saving all this mm-hmm. info because yeah. I'm going to write a story the second I leave. I think there are people who have done that. Yeah, That was never my intention. It was after I left, I always tried to like say nice things when I was mm-hmm. asked because I just thought that was the nice thing to do. And I was never in the mood to like air my dirty laundry anyway. That was yeah. never what I was trying to do. But it got to a point where I was literally, anytime I would go out, I'd be asked about it every day. People would be like, how's Hef? How's 
Kendra, blah, 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 blah. Oh, are you sad? You're not at the mansion anymore. Oh. <laughs> and like I'd be living this really yeah. successful life and like killing it and people would be like, oh, you're not there. Like I just like you're lost like, the life yeah. lottery or something. So my actual intention in writing the book was I wanted to let people know, no, I'm okay. I'm yeah. better now. I made lemonade out of lemons. Yes. This is how it was. So it was just something I really felt like I needed to get off my chest. Mm -hmm. And I just couldn't lie anymore and act like this was this amazing relationship that people need to aspire to. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just got to a point where it was a gut decision over like a mental decision. Yeah. And did you like, did you kind of shop it around or did you have someone who came to you and was like, you need to tell your story like now's the time like was there a I had been approached before by people that are like you could get a million dollars telling your story and I was like no I don't want to yeah but when I was finally ready I just um had a literary agent who took it around and Harper Collins saw something special in it yeah and yeah which I think part of that's kind of a nod to like what makes you so in my eye successful I think whenever like as someone who's just obsessed with kind of like you know, studying, I'm just so interested in why certain people achieve fame or, you know, popularity or success. And like some of the most, I think, successful people are the ones who aren't always like money motivated and truly do things because they want to. And they know that like, you know, if you build Rome, people will come or whatever the saying is. Mm -hmm. But, um, and you had mentioned in the book too, just the last note on this, because that kind of reminded me, um, there was an envelope on a bed that was oddly placed, but it said that you would get a certain amount if you stayed. Yeah, it was just like he left his will just on my side of the bed, just on the bed. Yeah. Like he never left stuff like that I out. when so I, I leave was like, my will oh, on the bed. Okay. Like, it was just such a weird, creepy moment because I'm like, A, you can't say this to my face. Yeah. Like it's the most odd, passive aggressive, weird thing Mm -hmm. but I knew what was trying to be done and also it's like no I've made up my mind like I'm not into this anymore like a dollar amount isn't gonna change anything and it was just Mm -hmm. kind of sad yeah and it was like was three million Mm -hmm. yeah so I just think it's I think part of too like what I really admire about you is you really just I always say in order to be interesting you have to have interests yeah and I think that you're like just seeing the different things that you've been into um which leads me to my next point which is and we're so we follow each other on TikTok and I love seeing your things about like the paranormal. Can you tell me about how like have you always been into that? Yeah, it's one of the things that I was always really drawn to as a kid. Like I always really loved like horror movies, yeah. the ones I was allowed to watch anyway yeah. and things like that. And it always tied into like my love of old Hollywood. I was always really attracted to like the tales that like ended tragically and all those kind of Hollywood Babylon type things. So it's kind of like an offshoot of that. So I was always really like obsessed with it and always really like wanted to have my own paranormal experiences. (laughs) And over the years, those have kind of happened. Mm -hmm. And when I was pregnant with my daughter 10 years ago, they started happening around me all the time, which is I don't know what kind of portal was opened with that. But wait, it's I live in a haunted house now. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny you say that because um, I like never talk about this. And I don't know, I go back on the fence if I'm like. I feel like sometimes when I say I believe in it, it like opens me up and I get Mm -hmm. scared. But um, when I was younger and my mom, I was in middle school, my mom was pregnant with my youngest sister and the weirdest things started happening in our home. And there was um, whenever there was a few days where when we left the house and like we were at school or parents were at work, 
um, we didn't have a home phone, but someone would call 911 from inside our house and the police and firefighters showed up like multiple times. Um, that is so weird. That we, could make such a good Twilight Zone. I know, like so, why? Yeah. It reminds me of that old Twilight Zone where the lady's getting all these calls. She can't figure out where it's from. And then mm-hmm. they follow the phone line and it fell on her husband's grave. Oh my God. Yeah. Or I like the, that story. it makes me think of like the movie where it was the girl babysitting and then they're like, the call's coming from inside yes, the house. Yes. So it was scary. like that. Um, and it really happened you when should she write like pregnant. a little short story. And I know. Like sell it as like a, yeah or something I know right I've always that story like I'll open up about it like to some people that I feel like wouldn't think I'm crazy but um yeah it was and then like a year later I was I had gotten home from school early that day I just walked I lived nearby and it was almost exactly a year on the date and um I had like an aggressive knock on the front door I was like, that's so weird. And I answered it and it was a police officer. And she was like, we got a call from 911. Like, oh my God. We have to search your house immediately. And I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, I was like, I don't, we don't have. And she's like, I need to make sure, like, there's no one in the house. I think she was kind of making it seem like I was like the perpetrator, but not in a bad way. I think she felt like if someone was in the house telling me to tell her to go, she had oh, to like protect yeah, me by being like, no, I have to search it. You know? or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like if someone is behind the door, so she's like, I need to search your house right now. And so I let her in and she went like room to room, like with her, like, oh my God. like scary. Yeah. So we never know what the 911 calls said, or maybe my parents, I know my mom called, but she kind of was like, oh, don't worry about it. So yeah, but it, it really started when she was pregnant and then it kind of died down like wow. a few years after Bridget was born. Yeah, it was so bizarre. I see that's like a whole other podcast we yeah. could get into, which makes me want to. So like part of my favorite thing to do whenever I talk to people is like pitching ideas or mm. I don't know. I so I know you you're also into true crime, right? So you mm-hmm. you've been yeah. doing that, the Playboy murders. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like it would be so cool if you had a show or even like if it started on TikTok, but if you're not already where you visit like old Hollywood sites that have history. We have wanted doing- to do that, Bridget. We actually had that in development, but it didn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. It was going to be called Haunted Hollywood. And wow. we filmed the pilot at the Rosenheim Mansion, which was the house wow. they used as like the murder house in American Horror Story, but yeah. it's really haunted in real life. And it was me and Bridget and a medium named Joe Peretta. And we went in there and we got such amazing stuff we because we went there and I'm like and my boyfriend does paranormal shows so Uh like but he's like very good at it yeah and I was telling the producer of the show I'm like what if we go and we don't get anything like what if we waste all this money filming and nothing happens and like my boyfriend said that's happened to him too and he's like we just use it anyway because it's still interesting yeah like it's the history I think yeah but I thought, what if nothing happens? But we went there and we got like three completely separate storylines. Like we had information come through, through equipment and through the medium that kind of sent us on this, what we thought was going to be a wild goose chase to find like these tiles that the original architect wanted, the original architect who's now dead, wanted us to keep and we found the tiles. And there were just like three completely different good storylines. It was really fun, but it didn't get picked up. So maybe one day. Yeah, Yeah. I know. (laughs) I I feel like, yeah, or even like Hollywood's most haunted, I feel that's such an interesting point is kind of being afraid that like, what if you spend all this money and then nothing happens? And um, I feel like something that would still make it so interesting is just even talking about the history and like why people might think the ha- the house yes. is haunted. Like, do you know, did anything happen? Because it's, it's funny you mentioned the word house from American Horror Story. My boyfriend, he's not super into like paranormal or anything. 
Um, but he's obsessed with American Horror Story. And we were on our way some one day and I, it's kind of off the 110, like almost a little bit south in mm -hmm. LA. And he made us like, he's like, it's on the way. We have to stop. So me and him, it's like the gated, there's like a gate around, like a chain link. And yeah. he like got out and took photo. Like he was so excited. But yeah, I think, do you know, like, do you know what the history is of that house specifically? Yeah, well, it was built in like the early teens okay. and it actually was used as like a nunnery for a while. Nuns wow. lived there and they built like oh a chapel God. on the side of it. And there was rumors that like a nun was pregnant and like jumped out of the second story window. Oh, wow, okay. Which is not confirmed, but not that, confirmed, that was okay. one of like the neighborhood rumors. The lore. And yeah. And people who've gone there, like we had a witness who was a fan of American Horror Story and yeah. has visited multiple times. And she said when the house was vacant, she like saw like a woman walking back and forth in front of the mirror. Wow. Yeah. There's all kinds of stories associated with that house. It's really cool. Yeah. There, that, that's so interesting. Um, I know I feel like a, even if it, started as I know you guys have your you and Bridget have girls next level mm -hmm. podcast but even like a show where I think that would be so cool I also feel like I'm manifesting that maybe this will happen but if you and Lana Del Rey like if you were ever in one of her music videos because oh my god I would die that would be so right? cool first of all the like the unreleased Lana Del Rey tracks people oh, keep putting out like I'm so obsessed <laughs> I know I yeah I know she kind of remind like I feel like you guys are similar in a lot of ways and she also is like obsessed with old Hollywood yeah and, like the Chateau Marmont she's done interviews at when she was first starting and I think she kind of reminds me of you in a way and that she obsessed with old Hollywood has the old Hollywood look and yet she kind of introduced this new medium of um storytelling where in the 2010s everyone was obsessed with like overproduced music videos. Mm -hmm. Like the record labels had a formula and Lana Del Rey put out video games, the music video that made her famous. And she filmed it on a, like her and her sister used a webcam on a laptop. Yeah. And it was like, part of what made it so interesting was that she kind of went the opposite route. And then mm -hmm. now people kind of copied that. So I think you guys are similar in that. Like you're also kind of that old Hollywood and yet you kind of re like, you were in that generation of stars that redefined celebrity in the 21st century through a new medium. I'm getting really nerdy, so I'm sorry. No, I'm like, I love it. I, I love, love talking stuff. about this stuff. Yeah, so I'm like manifesting. I feel like if you were ever in like a music video with Lana Del Rey, I think that would be so cool. I would cool. die. I would love that. I'm yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and now two last questions. One I want to ask, is there anything that you're looking forward to in the next year? just in life in general, yeah. everything. I just feel like everything's going really good, except we've had this crazy seven planet retrograde right now. Is it hitting you? Oh my God. We're like, nothing bad has happened to me. It's yeah. not like anybody's sick or anything like that. But it's just like any minor inconvenience that has happened has happened. Or I'm getting mm -hmm. ready to like launch season two of the podcast next week and I want to do all these things to upgrade the podcast. But yeah. like everything I do, I have to do like three times over because it keeps going yeah. wrong. And I'm just like, if one more thing happens, like my house needs a mold remediation uh. that we're doing right now. It's just like all the, my dog is sick. Like mm -hmm. just all the things that's it's just like if one more thing happens, yeah. I'm just gonna throw myself on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like not a pity party because like nothing bad yeah. has happened, and it's really all coming because I'm busy with opportunities. Yeah. That I love, but it's just like more of the same. I'm really excited. Like I'm doing season two of the Playboy Murders that comes out yeah. in January. I have another show with ID that's coming out later that's not announced yet. Uh -huh. I'm excited for season two of Girls Next Level podcast. And yeah. Anything else I might think of? Yeah. I'm just excited. <laughs> yeah. I um. I it's I'm glad to hear about like the season two and I know 
Um, I, I, okay, I, I said two questions, but I, I get excited. And then mm-hmm. um, two questions before that is, one, do you know what your big three is in astrology? Yes, I'm a Capricorn sun. Okay. I'm an Aquarius rising. I'm a Libra moon, but I'm also a Scorpio Venus. And I really connect with that. Like, I feel like that's such a huge part of my personality. But also, are you into like the midheaven sign? Because the midheaven sign yeah. is how the public perceives you. Yeah. Which I, is fascinating. And I guess if you lean into that, you'll do really well. Mm. So I'm a Sagittarius midheaven, which I make, think makes sense because like Sagittarius is like the storyteller and yeah. they kind of kind of speak without caring if people are going to give a shit sometimes you know yeah I Sagittarius I feel like especially for women because Sagittarius is the sign of good luck because it's like Mm -hmm. ruled by Jupiter um how come you why do you connect with the Scorpio Venus because Scorpio Venus is I mean Venus rules everything like love life and Scorpio is very like dark super intense Mm -hmm. super kind of like obsessive I feel like I feel like I mean, they say your moon sign is your emotions, but I feel like my Venus sign is more my emotions. Yeah. Who I feel like I am at the core. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you, a Libra moon or was mm-hmm. that? Okay. Yeah. And then what was, sorry, what was the rising? It was. Oh, Aquarius. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm an Aquarius sun. Awesome. Yeah. And then. That. That's why you love all the technology and the trends I know. and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because I'm the Aquarius sun, which is like that. And like the community, like being obsessed with like the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And then I have a Gemini moon, which is like Gemini is sometimes the sign of like um, immediate technology and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, so anyways, I'm trailing off. Um, (laughs) But um, and then, oh, you so you were also on. Trisha Paytas's podcast yeah. recently. How was that? It was so fun. Trisha's like one of my favorite TikTokers. Mm-hmm. I just love how she has so much energy and every day is a different cosplay and every yes. day is something funny. Like the new thing I'm obsessed with, have you seen how she does like the barmaid thing, like the medieval barmaid where she's like, hello, Trav. Yes, and she has the ears. She's yeah. like a witch kind of. And I think it was inspired by this other lady who used to come up on my For You page, but after Trisha started doing it, that lady's not on my For You page mm-hmm. anymore. But there was a lady who was like always medieval and she <laughs> makes it look like you're just walking into her inn and she's like hello traveler let me get you oh some soup God. or something like that so I haven't confirmed with Trisha if that's where she got the inspo but like mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it yeah <laughs> I love that and even in the podcast she like matched you and yeah, you guys had matching. the yes I I I think Trisha is really interesting because I know some people are like oh, she just does whatever's popular. But I'm like, no, I think she's just genuinely so curious about exploring Mm -hmm. different things and like that playful side, I think is how she's always able to reinvent. But, um, and then, um, so, and then another question I just wanted to ask is like, it can be clothes, it can be media, whatever, but is there anything that you think is going to be trendy in the next year that isn't trendy yet. I don't know about the next year, but one thing you were talking about before that I totally agree with is I think within the next like five to 10 years, privacy is going to become aspirational Mm -hmm. and there's not a term for it yet. Somebody's going to coin a term for aspirational privacy, but it's going to be this thing where like, if you've ever noticed, if you've ever tried to like Google somebody and you find I don't know if anybody's even finding this anymore, (laughs) but you find that they have like no footprint on the internet. That's like so weird. Like how do they do it? And I feel like you can't really get away with that anymore. And so many people have to do the social media to promote what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And because you have to do it and it's almost like an economic necessity these days to have like that internet footprint, it's going to be seen as so aspirational to be able to opt out if you Mm -hmm. don't want to and to have that privacy and people are going to want that hard. Yeah, I know. I think that like, especially with Gen Alpha. And I think we saw it kind of with Gen Z a little bit, but that 
there's this understandable resentment towards being online because they were the kids who like had like they were going into school they had a sense of community or even like gen z they were about to graduate high school or college Mm -hmm. and go to prom and that was ripped away from them overnight yeah and then they had to go online and they had to be on zoom they had Mm -hmm. to like you know apply for jobs and be in google hangouts and they didn't get to like make a community at work and gen alpha especially and i think that they're going to like really resent that they have to be online and like Mm -hmm. go so opposite. And I also think that like even me, who's kind of an influencer in a way, but Gen Alpha, I think isn't going to think it's that interesting. Like I think generations before, like my generation, we were like, oh my God, being like a celebrity or influencer is so cool. Like like everybody wants to be a YouTuber. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're going to kind of want, maybe it'll be aspirational in some ways, but they're going to be like everyone, like it's, not that interesting like it's gonna be yeah like there's always gonna be those people who are like really want the attention that's always gonna be a thing there's always gonna be people who want to become famous but I think there's gonna be a huge strain of people that come up that are gonna be like that's cringe I just want to be private I just want to do my thing and I think real life experiences are gonna become fetishized yeah and rightly so yeah because like, we're so like who knows when the next pandemic's coming and when the yeah. next wave of you need to be shut in is going to be and it's yeah. going to become aspirational to go do those real life experiences and maybe not drop that much about it like yes. i mean burning man is in the news right now yeah. and i got to go to burning man one time because my ex-husband was super into it and i got to go in 2013 and that was the last year that burning man was kind of like not a private thing, but it wasn't online because in 2014, the billionaires started bringing yeah. their own cell towers and you would see in real time on social media, all the models and influencers and their wow. burner outfits and stuff like that. But I was lucky enough to get to go on the last year before it went online. And you literally, you, like you got in a camper, if you were lucky and even had a camper <laughs> or a mobile motorhome or whatever it was. And you go for a week and you're completely offline for that week. Like people would post stuff on their Instagram, like a sign that said, gone to Burning Man, like be back so in a week. So people knew that they couldn't be Yeah, so you're totally gone for a week. And then you can like post a few pictures when you get back. But it was kind of this really cool experience and it yeah. had mystery and nobody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. And we've just lost that. Yeah. And I hope we kind of get back to a place where like real life experiences are kind of like fetishized and valued. And yeah, I think romanticized. Yeah. There was a there was a video that I saw on TikTok of the Beyonce concert and someone was scanning and like filming the kind of celebrity area mm-hmm. with their phone and it was so kind of like not sad but um everyone had their phone out and was filming and Justin Bieber was the only one without his phone and he was just like and I was like, oh, Justin Bieber is the future. Yeah, no, right. I mean, I you heard it here first. Yeah, and I don't know if you've had like this interaction. Um, also, sorry, we're seven minutes over. Sorry, do you have like no, two I don't more care. minutes? Okay. okay. Um, Justin Bieber has talked about it. I don't know if you've experienced this, and I always empathize. I sometimes say that I think fame can be a type of trauma, and like it's such an an experience that so few relate to and it upends your life but that especially since the age of phones where um like certain celebrities will never have a normal interaction with a stranger again because it's like Mm -hmm. a person filming them and like not even making eye contact but like filming them and looking at their camera Mm -hmm. do you ever feel like do you do you ever notice that that there's do you mind it or do you not like if someone comes up to you do you prefer someone to just have a genuine conversation or do people usually film you when they meet you? Um, I have had a lot of people come up. 
I mean, first of all, like I'm not super famous to the point where I'm counted, but, <laughs> but yeah. like I, I can blend in the background if yeah. I want to. But when I have people come up, I have noticed there's been a trend lately where people are a lot more respectful. And sometimes people yeah. just want to come up and say, hi, I really yeah. like your podcast. And they don't even ask for a photo. And I'm almost, I almost want to say, don't, don't you want a photo? Like not in a conceited yeah. way, but just like, oh, are, yeah. were you going to ask? But I think that's really nice. Mm-hmm. And like I was on a Disney cruise with my kids not too long ago and like a couple other moms came up, but they came up when like my kids were kind of off doing okay, something. I just yeah. noticed that people are like really respectful recently, yeah. which I really appreciate and I think is cool. And I hope it's an indication that we're all kind of, you know, headed to a place where we're a little less cringe with our phones. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I like to get footage, too. I'm probably going to go do a what I ate at Disneyland <laughs> right after this or something. Oh, but fun. it's nice to have, like, a little bit of real life, too. And I noticed it happen in, like, a little microcosm with, like, the Playboy Mansion parties. I always talk about this, how the parties were, like, so cool back in the day. And they were, like, the parties in L.A. that everybody mm-hmm. wanted to go to. And they felt exclusive and mysterious. But coincidentally, right around the time I left in 2008, the parties completely went downhill because that's when everybody had a camera phone all of a sudden. And I guess you could have instated something if you were the Playboy Mansion, like, oh, you need to leave your phone at the Mm -hmm. door, but nobody did that. And it turned into a thing where like, I couldn't walk two steps without being asked for a picture. So I can't imagine how any like bigger celebrity felt, you know, like no celebrities wanted to come anymore because it just felt like a meet and greet and it didn't feel private and it didn't have any kind of the cachet that it used to have. And it was just sad. Yeah. And it's all because of phones. Yeah. It's like that again, like we're saying that privacy is almost like a commodity. And even back then, or even just the exclusiveness of being invited versus when they started selling tickets. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and you had mentioned in the Paris pod that like, um, there were two celebrities that would go during Halloween in masks yes. and talk to the girls and then they'd reveal themselves yeah. at the end. Who was that? It was Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. and Toby Maguire. Oh <laughs> yeah, there were a bunch of playmates who were like hanging out with these guys who were just really nice, but they didn't know who they were because they had like wolf masks oh on God. or Spider-Man or something like that. And at the end of the night, they took off their masks and they're like, it was really fun hanging out with you guys. Oh, and they're they, like, oh my God, mind I, blown. <laughs> I love that. They probably even appreciated just having like a normal interaction. Normal interaction, in life, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so last question that I'll let you go to Disneyland. What's your favorite ride at Disneyland and then your favorite ride at California Adventures? Um, my favorite ride is the Haunted Mansion and California Adventure. I don't know if I've ever thought about what my favorite ride. I think the Cars ride oh, is yes. just really like fun and relaxing and scenic. Yes. And I love doing that one. It makes you feel like you're literally... I always imagine I'm on the Cars ride when I'm driving to like Palm Springs or Joshua Tree. Yes, you're going. They did such a good job on Cars Land. Like you Mm -hmm. really feel like you're in the movie. It's so cool. Yeah, and the lights at night, Mm -hmm. like the flow. And they play the music. It's so good. Yeah, I Disneyland's like my favorite. I'm like, I, people make fun of Disney adults, but I'm like, I just love it. I'm such a sucker for the ears and the yeah, pins. Yeah, so. it's so fun. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming Thanks on. Thanks for having this me. Was this is so fun. Yes. <laughs> and uh, um, you guys be ready for their, is it season two of Girls Next Level? Yeah. Or the, okay. So I'll be watching for that. I'm excited. Thank you. Yay. Thank you so much. Okay, great. <laughs>